Chapter 5 of The Astonishing History of Troy Town by Sir Arthur Thomas Quillacooch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 5 How an absent minded man that hated women took a house by the waterside and lived therein with one servant. Well, sir, said Caleb Trotter when the boat was pushed off, what do you think of em? Mr. Fogo, whose wits had been wool gathering, came to himself with a start. "'I think they are very good people.' "'You may say that. The likes of those trims you won't see again, not if you live to be a hundred. "'Seems to me,' he went on reflectively, "'that nature, when she turned out the first, got so pleased with herself that she was bound to try a hand at her duplicity, just to relieve her feelings.' Uh, "'Oh, what?' "'A duplicity, sir. Otherwise another of the same identical.' Uh, "'Oh, I see.' "'Yes, sir.' "'Tis like that rhyme about the force of nature what couldn't no further go, "'and you can't do it again, not if you try all you know.' "'You are fond of poetry, I see,' said Mr. Fogel with a smile. "'Perfectly dotes on it, sir.' "'Have you ever composed any yourself?' "'Once upon a time, sir,' said Caleb, pausing in his work and leaning forward very mysteriously. "'If you cares to hear, I don't mind telling ye. "'Only you must give me a davy you won't let out it to nobody.' Mr. Fogo gave the required promise. "'Well, it was in this way. Once upon a time, me and old Joe Bonaday was working a smack-round from Bristol. The Betsy Ann was her name, number 10770-Troy. Joe was skipper, and me mate. There was a boy aboard for crew, but he don't count. Well, I got off Ilfracombe one afternoon, August month it was, and piping hot, when my blessed Parliament, says Molly Frankie, uh, "'Who was she?' "'Oh, another figure of speech, sir, that's all. "'Well, as I was saying, on a sudden, lo and behold, the breeze drops dead. "'If you believe me, sir, twas calm as the sargasso sea. "'So there we were stuck, the sail not so much as flapping, "'for the best part of two hour. "'At the end of which time, Joe not being a conversational man "'beyond saying thank ye when he got his victuals, "'I was getting a bit dumbfounded for topics to talk upon. "'Cause, as for the weather, there twas, and as Joe remarked, "'Twasn't going to move any more for our discussing it, "'not yet cussing for that matter.' "'I see.' "'Well, sir, we was driven at last to sing in a hymn "'to keep our spirits up. "'Leastways, the boy and me sang, and Joe beat time. "'Then says Joe's, "'Look here, I'm a-going to Ali Coochie if it lasts like this.' "'Well,' says I, for I was getting desperate, "'have you ever tried to make poetry?' "'No,' says he, "'can't say I have.' "'Well,' I says, "'I've often wanted to.' "'Let's have a shy. "'You go aft and think of a verse, "'and I'll go forward and make another, "'and then I'll see which sounds best.' "'Done,' says he, and off he goes. "'Well, I sit there for more than an hour, "'thinking hard and terrible work I found it. "'At last Joe shouts across, "'Have you done? Time's up!' "'And I told her I'd done pretty middling. "'So I stepped amidships and spoke out what was made up.' "'Caleb made a long pause.' "'I should like to hear the verses, if you remember them,' said Mr. Fogo. "'Should he now?' Caleb asked, with fine modesty. "'Well, I don't mind, only you mustn't expect them to be like Master Mugridge's. "'Mine went thick away.' He recited very slowly, with a terrific rolling of syllables. "'See her gliding draw the water, far, far away. "'Many a true art's never to be found.' "'The last line alludes to my girl, what had recently eloped with the Russian.' Caleb explained. Uh, was that all? That was all of mine, sir, but 
Joe was points better. Just listen. Fare thee well, Barnstable steeple. He was a Barnstable man, sir, was Joe. Fare thee well, I say. Never shall I see thee once again a long time ago. Well, sir, we were going to step back and have another shy, when the breeze sprang up almost as sudden as he fell, and the consequence was, sir, that I'd ever made no more poetry from that day to this. The sun was getting low, as Mr. Fogo and Caleb stepped ashore on the ruined quay at Kit's house, not far from the spit of land where the lasers were buried. Kit's cottage stood plain to see at a short distance from the water, but Kit's house lay to the right, behind its screen of laurels and elms. A narrow flight of steps and a path along the cliff's edge brought the visitors to the front door. It was a long, low house with pointed windows on the upper storey and a deep veranda shading the ground-floor rooms. It faced the south, and although few flowers were out, the ruined garden was luxuriant with decay. One could see where the old Lazar house had been overlaid with the taste of more recent inhabitants. But, as Caleb said, no one had lived here now for a dozen years or more. The walls were smeared with green vegetation, the iron gate creaked heavily with rust. On the roof the stone-crop flourished, and the swallows had built their nests about the chimneys. Indoors it was as bad. Rich papers hung and rotted from the walls. Rats scampered about the floors overhead. A smell of damp and mouldiness pervaded every room. "'Deary me, sir,' said Caleb in despair. "'I'd no idea it was as bad as this. I wouldn't have mentioned the place to he.' An old barrel stood on end before the French window of the drawing-room. Mr. Fogo seated himself on this, and gazed meditatively out on the mellow glory of the evening. "'Caleb,' he said very quietly, after a while, "'I think I shall take this house.' "'You will, sir?' "'I fancy there will be no difficulty in arranging about the rent. And now I wanted to speak with you on another question. You are a single man, you say. Have you any employment?' "'Why, sir, I mostly picks up my living on the say. "'Only I thought as how I'd like a spell ashore for a change. "'But the end of that you saw for yourself this very afternoon. "'Do you think that for a pound a week you could look after me?' "'I'd like the chance.' "'That would exclude your food and clothes?' "'Caleb hesitated for a moment, and then said with Trojan independence, "'You been a-going to rig me out in a yellow waistcoat and small clothes "'with a stripe down the leg by any chance?' "'I was proposing that you should dress exactly as you do at present.' "'Then done with ye, sir, and thank ye. "'When be I to enter on my duties?' "'At once.' "'And where, sir?' "'Here.' "'Be you a-going to sleep the night in this melancholy place?' "'Certainly.' "'Very well, sir. Please yourself, as Dick said to the press-gang. "'And what be I to do first?' "'Mr. Fogo perhaps did not hear the question, "'for he was gazing out at the falling shadows.' When he spoke again, it was upon another subject. "'It is right that you should know,' said he, "'the kind of life you will be wanted to lead. "'In the first place I am extraordinarily subject to fits of abstraction, "'absence of mind, in other words. "'It is an affection to which my style of life has made me particularly prone. "'It has led me before now into absurd and sometimes into dangerous situations.' "'I have heard tell,' said Caleb, of an old gentleman who carefully tucked his umbrella in bed and put his elf in the corner. Is that the style of thing, sir? It is something similar, said his master, and within certain limits I should expect you to look after me and as far as possible prevent such accidents. 
However, I shall not, of course, expect you to have more than one pair of eyes. My tastes are simple. I read a little, sketch a little, botanize, dabble in chemistry, am fond of carpentering, boat-building especially. My very absence of mind makes me indifferent to surroundings. In short, I am a mild man. Mr. Fogo got off his barrel, went to the window, sighed softly, and returned. Something in his manner imposed silence on Caleb. "'We shall live here alone,' he resumed. "'It is even possible that, to ensure solitude, I shall rent the cottage as well and install you there.' "'Above all things remember,' with sudden sternness, "'that no woman is to come near this house. I should even expect you to do your utmost to prevent their landing on the quay below.' Uh, "'That, I think, is all. I now wish you to row down to the station and get my portmanteau.' After that, with this money, procure a couple of hammocks, besides provisions, and whatever will be necessary for the night, not forgetting soap and candles. Tomorrow we will take in further stock. Caleb was about to make some answer, when the garden gate creaked heavily, and Peter Dearlove appeared in the dusk outside the window. So he merely took the money, touched his forelock by way of acknowledging his new employment, and retired but it was noticeable that once or twice on his way to the boat he had to pull himself up and think a bit. Arrived on the quay, too, he stood for a moment or so beside the boat in profound meditation. "'Come, Caleb Trotter,' he explained, suddenly jumping in and seizing the paddles. "'This sort of thing won't do, nohow. Here you'd be paid for looking after a gentleman as wanders in his wits, and first news is you'd be doing the same yourself. "'Tis terrible queer, though,' he added. And with that began to row towards town, with an energy that set the boat quivering. When he returned in less than two hours' time, he found Mr. Fogo with a barrel full of water and the stump of a decayed broom washing out the back kitchen. The twin had gone. "'Here we be, sir. Pound of candles, pound of tea, two loaves of bread, knives, forks, two cups, th three eggs, one of them smashed to me drowsy pocket, saucepan, kettle, teapot, a hunk of cold beef as salt as Lot's wife's elbow.' "'That's the first load. There's more in the boat, but I must ask ye to bear a hand with thicky portmanteau of you, cause tis mortal heavy. I see Jan Higgs's wife a-fishing about two hundred yards from the quay on my way up, and warned her to keep her distance. There's a well of water round the back, and I've fetched a small sack of coal, and if us don't have a dish of tea ready and a brace of shakes, then Tom's killed and Mary's forlorn.' With the statement of which gloomy alternative, Mr. Caleb Trotter broke into a smile of honest pride. "'Caleb,' said Mr. Fogo from his hammock in the back kitchen, at about eleven o'clock on the same night. "'Aye, aye, sir.' Uh, "'Are you comfortable?' "'Thank you, sir. Getting on nicely. Just a bit man-friday-ish to begin with, but as correct as Crocker's mare.' Uh, "'What did you say?' "'I'll figure a speech again, sir. That's all. Good night, sir.' "'Good night, Caleb.' Mr. Fogo settled himself in his hammock, sighed for a second time, and dropped asleep. End of chapter 5